Welcome to Screen Quest, a podcast where a fellowship of film lovers and armchair movie experts plays film roulette. I'm one of your hosts, uh, Chris Waterman from Jacksonville, joined as always by May Finch, also from Jacksonville. Hey, everyone. And of course, Will Rotondi from Greenville, South Carolina. Hey, how's it going? It is going excellently. We've had a nice weekend. It's got a little bit of sun. There's still a nice little glare here. You may not be able to quite see it yet, but uh, May was kind enough to invite uh, Marianne and I out to a, a little morning hike down by the beach, and it was just lovely. You're not really enough to beat the heat, you know? <laughs> no, definitely was not uh, at all cool, but it was, uh, it was a, a great day nonetheless. A little sea breeze as we were you know, getting to, to certain parts of the trail. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> well, did you do anything fun this weekend? Just, uh, man, I was lazy and play video games. I've got a couple of buddies that like to play Deep Rock Galactic. So we just hung out and uh, probably a solid, I want to say a, uh, with a break in between in the afternoon, but probably like a solid five hours total just going through and yeah, mining away and blasting some aliens in space. So yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> Yeah, I love like binge sessions, especially like if you're playing with buds, the time just melts away. It's great. Well, very cool. Uh, on today's episode, we will be discussing Terminator 2 and whether it is a unicorn or dead horse. That is to say a sequel that enriches and expands the cinematic universe in a positive way or if it is a big old stanker. Uh, but first, we have uh, a brief little opening uh, or opener segment, and we're going to uh, obviously draw a side quest uh, for our opener. We wanted to just wish a very happy birthday to P.T. Anderson, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson, one of my favorite directors uh, of all time, who uh, we just recently discussed as part of our There Will Be Blood and uh, No Country for Old Men discussion. So happy birthday, P.T. Anderson. Uh, I'm looking up how old he is because I'm a bad host and I didn't do that. So 52 years old today, the day we're recording, uh, June 26th. Uh, do you guys have a favorite P.T. Anderson film? I actually uh, just saw Licorice Pizza like a couple weeks ago. Oh. Um, and I don't know. I had mixed feelings about it. I think There Will Be Blood is still my, my favorite. Um, it's funny because I actually don't think I'd seen any P.T. Anderson films until this year uh, when I saw There Will Be Blood but hard to go wrong with I drink your milkshake. So <laughs> <laughs> some days uh, I hope that the legal title of that film has just changed to that, like just to make everybody right. That'd be <laughs> fantastic. Uh, yeah. Licorice pizza. I saw um, as somebody who's seen almost all of his films, I was really expecting the shoe to drop. Like, I don't want to say too much, like, but I was expecting much worse things to happen in that film that actually, yeah. do because that's normally how it rolls. So, um, <laughs> oh, I, I need another watch of that. Like uh, his films, I really seesaw back and forth. Like I usually have like a strong like for them or a strong dislike on first watch. And then it takes like one or two more watches at least before I really know how I feel. So, um, how about you, Will, you got a favorite I think hands down, it's going to have to, well, by default, really, uh, it's going to have to be There Will Be Blood. I mean, I do love the film by itself, but I don't really think, I'm trying to remember if there's anything I've seen of his other than maybe, uh, this is going to be a silly question. Did he do Boogie Nights? Was that yes. Yeah. So I've seen bits and pieces of that film, but not enough to say I've actually watched it. So I can't, that can't really count. 
but uh, yeah, that's probably the only other thing that I know that he's done. And I think maybe I've heard of Punch, is it Punch Trunk Love Drunk with Love. Adam Sandler? Yeah. And I haven't seen that either. And that was something that was sort of on my radar back when it came out and I just never got around to watching it. So there's there's a couple other ones on there, I think, like The Master. And did he do like another one with, um, oh gosh, Daniel Day-Lewis? Was there another film that he did with him? Phantom Thread. Um, okay, yeah, like the last yeah. one that Day-Lewis did. Okay. Which is nice. beautiful. It's about uh, costume, or not costume design, but really uh, fashion design. And uh, it, it is incredibly P.T. Anderson. That's all I'll say about it. Uh, <laughs> like it's um, better to just kind of absorb that for what it is without knowing too much about it. Um, but I, I really like that one as well. Um, some of the most beautiful, I think, costuming, you know, for, as, as you would imagine for a film that's about like the fashion world. Um, yeah, of your uh, very good. Uh, also, Magnolia, you know, with Tom Cruise and uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman and just a bevy of other people as well was one of his. Um, so, but I think my favorite was probably also There Will Be Blood, but Boogie Nights is like a very close second for me. Um, I right. like the more, the more I watch that film, the more I really, really love it. Um, it's a little bit challenging because it's about the pornography industry in the, the 70s um it, it's not a very pleasant film in, in parts but uh, a um, classically not exploitative time and place <laughs> yes. yeah yeah um which i think he, he does very well tackling um sort of like the the realities of that like it peels as the layers get kind of peeled back there's a, certainly a very ugly underbelly um but it has a lot of heart and uh one of my favorite soundtracks too like of like mm-hmm. 70s and 80s music so uh, you should watch it for no other reason than uh, to see uh, Burt Reynolds in one of his best performances and then John C. Riley, like who's impossible not to want to start giggling the moment he pops on screen, has like a really great side character in that. So, oh, um, nice. All I digress. Right. Happy birthday, <laughs> P.T. Anderson. Both of you now <laughs> have a reason to uh, to maybe celebrate. Pick a pick a random P.T. Anderson film and, and watch it and uh, report back. Let us know what you think. All righty. Well, uh, let's have a side quest, shall we? Let's give these a little shuffle-roo. Don't flip the table. Yeah, don't flip the table. <laughs> Actually, no, it, don't listen to me. Flip the table. It makes it more exciting. <laughs> And we have a throw your popcorn, which uh, just as a quick recap is discuss a movie scene that made you throw your popcorn at the screen, either literally or figuratively. So um, anybody have anything that springs to mind? May I know last time I think we, was it Bridge of Terabithia or was that a great expectations? Don't remember. But I think it was we... Bridge of Terabithia that, that I picked. Yeah. yeah. Indiana Jones. The fourth one. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. The Kingdom of the Crystal that. Skull. Uh, Indiana Fridge was pretty much for me. I just I couldn't. There's a lot of other scenes in that film that people like to rag on, and I can follow some of the criticism behind it. But literally, when he survived a nuclear explosion by getting inside a giant fridge and getting launched like God knows how far across 
It's I like don't even mile. know. I mean, it's yeah. it's a ridiculous distance. Like, like, no, there's no way. Like, I mean, yeah. And I can suspend a certain degree. Of, I mean, it's Indiana Jones, so it's always been very spiritual. Yeah, I mean, it's like, you know, like whether it's dudes getting their hearts pulled out of their chests in the Temple of Doom or uh, just the, you know, all the Christian mythology that's thrown into like uh, the first and the second one. I mean, it's the freaking Ark of the Covenant in the first one. So it's like you kind of have to suspend disbelief. But I don't know, there's something about where you want to take science and you really want to play with the limits of what's possible that I just thought, no. I just, I, I couldn't, and that's just that literally that was the only scene for me in that entire film, and I just thought, no, I can't follow that. So I wholly support your 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 choice there. <laughs> I think I think there's a little bit of an age bias here because <laughs> I saw this when I was, you know, still a kid, and I don't remember any of those scenes like standing out to me at all because like it fit it fit in perfectly with kid logic. It's like, yeah, you have this this guy who's like supernaturally good at like finding treasures and fighting bad guys and you have like you said will all this kind of like christian mythology like embedded in it so i'm just like yeah he can't die of course he's going to survive getting thrown in a fridge for a mile <laughs> from a nuclear bomb line. <laughs> yeah. not out of the back of a plane or you know, anything else which would have been yeah. equally ridiculous but yeah so i i gave all of that a pass <laughs> um, <laughs> I yeah, um i will agree though like as an adult when i watch something where as long as they are trying to make it scientific yeah i'll buy into anything but the second they like make up some like scientism mumbo jumbo explanation i get upset <laughs> mm. i think what was the lead lining of the refrigerator was like their um kind of justification right and never mind that the temperature like yeah (laughs) difference alone would probably take you inside of that like as we um, all know wet is very uh much like a cushion so when you you know terminal velocity or anything that you reach when you come back down to the ground yeah it's just like a pillow (laughs) (laughs) all right so here's a question for you um will about that do you know what the significance of the refrigerator is in the larger context of like unused ideas um in this in adjacent to spielberg do you oh i'm not entirely sure where this is going so i'd rather hear what what you have no, to throw say it, about throw that. it a guess you might be right you might be right hmm. it so that is a nod or easter egg to something that uh is in spielberg's past that was unused oh unused oh man can i get a hint <laughs> as to where uh, um so one of your favorite movies oh. mm-hmm. that you talked about in our, our uh, session zero. Oh man, to do with no that. way. Seriously, Back to the Future was going to have mm-hmm. <laughs> shut that up. Was, <laughs> that, so a refrigerator was going to be the time machine in the original Back to the Future. I love that. Uh, and, <laughs> no. And they were like, kids are going to like die. Like they're going to crawl into the refrigerator trying to play Back to the Future we can't there's no way we can't do this, this is gonna wow. set a terrible example and it will lead to the death that the children's you can't use that so that's why a refrigerator became a delorean which is way cooler like um man so, I mean, they made the right call for so many reasons there but yeah there's there's your that's little hilarious. bit of movie trivia adjacent to um you know uh indiana jones or uh, now you know something you didn't <laughs> i'm honestly that's impressed awesome. that the studio thought through that because i feel like no one cares these days <laughs> 
<laughs> who knows? I don't I don't recall like who the person was. Like maybe it was their legal team or who knows. But I do know safety was the you know, so whoever uh, spoke up in that meeting, like, good, good for you, you know? Yeah. I feel like if you had a movie with like time traveling bleach, it would get green light. Like mm, yeah, <laughs> pods. Time pods, yeah. time pods. Hey, Absolutely. how many are we supposed to take guys? <laughs> well, very good. Nice, nice pick. Uh, Will. Thanks. Um, so Let's move on to our, our main quest, the meat and potatoes of today's episode, which is Terminator 2 Judgment Day. Uh, of course, as always, I'm going to uh, start with um, some initial impressions. And then what I've really done here, because I think so ordinarily we would do like a brief summary for the audience. Right. But I thought because this film's structure follows so closely to the original Terminator, I want to break down our discussion after the initial impressions into three parts. So. Uh, act one, which is uh, the arrival and initial confrontation. Act two, which is the rescue and on the run. And then the finale, right? Both of the films kind of follow that structure. And I think the finale is probably the biggest difference between the two. So that's, if it's okay with you two, I think how I want to tackle this um, because we are, after all, assessing if it uh, enriches the world of the Terminator. So those two films are kind of in dialogue as, as we're going to be discussing this. I thought it'd be kind of cool to compare and contrast. So we'll start with initial impressions. Uh, May, you know, I'm going to call on you because this was your first viewing. You came over yeah, uh, yeah. to my home and watched it, and watched it with Marianne and I um, in an audience setting. Um, what'd you make of it? Um, I, I guess I was just like happily surprised because I feel like it's kind of a 50-50 toss-up toss up if any like film that's kind of risen to cult status is actually good or if it's just like was so creative and zany it got a cult following and that's why it's stayed in the cultural memory uh this was actually good so i <laughs> i really enjoyed it it was it was fun um i think i mentioned when i was there i'm not usually a huge action movie fan i would i would say john wick is the only franchise i've really really loved um and I guess I can add Terminator to that too now, uh, especially with like the car chases, just because they're so overdone at this point. I don't know if they were already overdone when this movie came out, but I was actually like excited and engaged in the car chase scene, which was another happy surprise to me. Um, so yeah, overall, I loved it. Um, I liked that it kind of gave a nod to the campiness of the original um, while also making it more like believably serious and sincere in a cool way so yeah awesome i i uh, i love that you loved it like it's always a little bit uh nerve-wracking when you have to introduce somebody <laughs> to something that you really really have a tremendous amount of affection for and oh yeah uh, I, I just worship the ground that this uh film walks <laughs> on uh i just i mean again i have the t800 uh, uh how directions work on camera anyway right there um the little the hand uh you know, um, that I bought, like uh, I paid uh, money that I'm not going to uh, admit to get the special edition that came with that, um, just because I love the movie that much. Um, and I don't normally buy collector's editions of stuff, but uh, yeah. how about you, Will? Oh, I love, I love Terminator. I love the second one, especially, but I've, I've enjoyed uh, Terminator on and off. I think I've probably seen T2 a lot more than I watched the original one. 
because even growing up i'm trying to remember like what the first rated r movie was that i watched but it was probably around that time like i feel like speed was the first rated r film that i watched and then shortly after that terminator and terminator 2 came into the into the mix but um yeah no i i have i've enjoyed going back and watching I guess watching it because of the storyline, which is weird because I don't normally gravitate to a lot of dark sci-fi most of the time, but just to have something like that where it was the suspense behind it and watching all of the really cool, I mean, for that time, even like the special effects that they did were were amazing. And I'm always a, I'm a sucker for models. So like the original Terminator and how, even though it's campy to go back and watch like all the model work that they did and some of that too in T2, I thought was really cool, so and yeah i think without going into any more detail just generally speaking i've I've always loved it yeah i've already been very vocal about how, how i feel about this movie but it's at least once a year like this might be one that i i like squeeze in this is certainly the second time this year that i've i've watched uh t2 um <laughs> uh because geo had never seen it so it's like well now we're gonna go ahead and fix that and uh watch this <laughs> um but so you yeah, need just, to have like a running list of you and who you're trying to show terminator 2 to that way you can have like a set screening every year <laughs> yeah i mean if I, like you know how there's like that meme if uh i win the lottery like i'm not going to announce it but there will be signs uh <laughs> yeah. the sign will be that like i will perpetually have a screen rented out at like one of the local theaters and this is the only film that would put <laughs> and it'll just be free <laughs> like if you've never seen t2 come see it on the big screen on on chris <laughs> You'd be like, Waterman, did you win the lottery? Maybe. <laughs> That's beautiful. <laughs> All right. So let's get down into the nitty gritty. So as I said, uh, we'll break it up into kind of three, the three acts of the film. Uh, be- because, I mean, really, these are not beat for beat the same, but like shockingly close, like in structure. Uh, so let's start with the arrival and initial confrontation. So basically, if we're talking Terminator 2, from the opening credits all the way through uh, the the chase, you know, uh, sequence with the, uh, the T one thousand and and uh, Arnie um, on the the Los Angeles freeway and the little uh, canals. So, um, well, I'll start I'll start with you this uh, this time. So, keeping in mind the unicorn versus dead horse discussion, um, thinking of like back from like the original Terminator to this and how like those. Uh, films compare with one another uh through that first act like what's your read i think it definitely adds to it because there's a lot more there's the action of like the chase scene itself i thought was really cool i mean it's up the ante in terms of the um as opposed to like in, in the original terminator where it's just the shootout and it's you know this this uh robot that's chasing sarah connor through the club and they're hiding out like uh, when she and Reese are hiding out in the uh, parking garage and then that little chase scene that goes on there in the police car. Um, don't get me wrong, like it's good. It's like the original is very much uh, very tight in terms of its own storytelling. I just thought the second one's sort of up the ante in terms of just how much destruction is gonna happen along the way and sort of the, um, the the peril that the characters are in and just sort of feeling more suspense about exactly how they're going to get out of it and and what they have to do to try and fight this new threat that they're dealing with so i enjoyed the original part like i i thought the 
the special effects definitely improved from the first one later obviously bigger budget as well um but uh yeah i just thought it was cleaner i thought it was uh was more more threatening and i enjoyed that yeah i even though i consider the first one to be like i think you can make the argument the first terminator film at its core is as a horror film you know it's 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 a monster movie or you know like really like at its at its heart um uh, like I, I do think the T one thousand kind of carries that tradition for like that is a very scary, um, menacing for somebody who is not physically imposing. There's a lot of mm-hmm. intensity and and cool things that they do to make it no less you know terrifying. Um, you know this this relentless thing. How about you, May? I'm actually really glad that the second uh, kind of follow the same formula as the first because when you do that, it really highlights the small differences between the two. And for me, that's what really added to the tension and suspense because in the first movie, and I think I mentioned, I generally don't like voiceovers. <laughs> hard for me to get used to. Um, but like, you you know more in the first movie about like who Reese is and who the Terminator is before that confrontation happens um, with the shootout in the club. And so you're like not so worried about who Reese is while uh, at the same time, Sarah Connors is still freaking out because she thinks that Reese is the Terminator. Whereas you already know it's Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, whereas like, spoiler alert, there's a twist in the second movie uh, where it's not Arnold Schwarzenegger and it subverts your expectations in a cool way. And I was telling Chris, like, I didn't see it coming but I did have this kind of growing anxiety about the T-1000's character um, because he lacked the friendliness and humanity that we saw with Reese in the first movie, right? Um, and there just seemed something kind of threatening and menacing about him. And that increased up until, you know, uh, the, the, the roses fell and we had that like epic shootout um, <laughs> at the arcade. So I really liked that they followed kind of a similar formula um, I don't really have an opinion on which one is stronger because, again, I think they're kind of their own things. I was thinking about, I don't know if you guys saw that there's a meme going around that had the screen grab from when John Connor's friend is asked by the T-1000 in a police uniform form, like, hey, have you seen this kid? Uh, and he says no. And I think the caption is something like, this one kid not snitching save the world or something like that. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Anyway, so I think like the fact that it's still going around in meme form in 2022 is a good sign that it uh, has had cultural staying power. <laughs> There's that and the um the the payphone scene where it was like, um you oh. know uh they the play on that was like uh are your parents into like Pokemon and it's like yeah sure and then like somebody games like a Yu Gi Oh or something and then and it's like your foster <laughs> parents are dead like it's like I see that like <laughs> over and over and over again too so. Um, yeah, for me, like, I think where like this really, uh, does an awesome job following the same structure, but like, um, I think like kind of learns the lessons from the first one a little bit, or maybe is able to like springboard off the first one is like, I do feel like we get to the action a little bit sooner and there's way less exposition, right? Like it's assuming that, you know, who John Connor is, who Sarah Connor is, what what the stakes are like you don't have to explain what a terminator is um 
I think all of that works really, really well. I mean, there's some exposition with the T800 kind of explaining to John about like the T1000 and who sent them and things like that. Um, but I do think like uh, it respects the audience um, intelligence enough voiceover aside, like in the beginning, like kind of explaining that um, to, to really kind of keep the, the, the momentum going. Uh, I also really, really um, enjoy uh, the, the, the plot twists that I guess was ruined by marketing. I was so delighted that um, you were able to sort of avoid the pop culture, like zeitgeist around this film to not really know like who the good guy necessarily was. Um, that's such an awesome, pure way to have experienced it. Um, again, everything from like trailers to action figures, like made it very clear before this movie ever came out, like who the, the good guy was. And yeah. I think it, it is constructed in a very meticulous way to, to feel like a, a reveal right like you don't you're not really 100 sure um so i think that's really really uh smart as well um well what's just, funny uh, is i didn't actually completely avoid it and i was surprised when i watched the first terminator and i was like oh he doesn't ever have like a redemption arc or a good guy twist i thought oh. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought that was from the first movie and I was like okay no I guess they just like he was seen as like a cool action figure or whatever yeah. <laughs> yeah. so it confused me for the first movie not this one I think um you know budget you know and it's it's hard to ignore like I mean we could say that like a film you know film's quality like shouldn't or like you know um be judged on its budget but it's very apparent from yeah. one to two. I mean one is very impressive for the very meager budget that it had um two's ridiculous like that whole I mean that chase <laughs> sequence holds up so incredibly well like it's just some of the stunts are just insane still like to this day the motorcycle coming off the top of the freeway and landing the the whole entire tow truck coming off the the yeah. freeway all that stuff is is just it's remarkable really um and I got to give a shout out before I forget in this episode to Brad Fidel, who did the, the soundtracks to both of the films. Uh, really like uh, treat yourself to like an hour long listen with some headphones uh, to hear. I mean, like the full extent of the score with like no other sounds. Uh, it is a beautiful, weird uh, score. You know, there's a lot of synthesizers, but he used a lot of industrial sounds and, and got very creative with some stuff. And uh, it's one of my favorite movie scores because it's so unlike anything, like really, like for both the films, but the, the second one in particular. But um, yeah, anybody have anything else to add on kind of like the first act of the the film? Oh, uh, duh. Uh, so let's talk a quick moment. Uh, so in one, you've got sort of, the target meeting like the protector i think in this one one of my favorite like sequences like of all time and like i love the the dynamic between the t800 and um john connor is uh when john connor is so thrilled by the prospect that of having a terminator that he sticks it on uh two guys that are just trying to help him and then yeah great bit of child acting where he realizes the consequences and sort of the power that he holds in his hands very uh you know quickly he's shocked and scared and sort of like horrified at like what almost happens like in that moment but um what do you guys think of their like interplay and kind of like where they start off like in this I mean, I'm, I'm blanking on his name but the actor for John Connor is I agree uh is very talented especially for his age um and I think does like a good job of portraying a kid that clearly has had a rough life. He's had the rug pulled out from under him a few times and like 
generally hasn't really had any power or ability to trust someone. And I get why like having an all powerful, 100% obedient machine man is like the best thing that could happen to you in that circumstance. Um, and like, we'll get to the ending. That's that's part of why I felt like the ending was unnecessarily cruel to, to John, but we'll, we'll get there, we'll get there. <laughs> I loved it. I thought it was, well, and I thought, you know, it's so different than the first one because, you know, he's this terrifying, like you said, it's the the monster movie. And so to have it more like this interplay between uh, this kid and a robot, both learning from each other. And at the same time, it's like comedic relief in this film. You know, it's the, it's, it lightens up something that was otherwise just very dark in the original versus this action movie that's sort of a sort of you know a dark comedy in a lot of ways and so that was that was very refreshing but also like sort of mirroring what you uh what you both have said is that they got a really great actor from out of the kid and then just arnold schwarzenegger is great at playing deadpan so yeah anytime the terminator tries to be human or like not fuck up like it it is like it's (laughs) it's comedic and you know it's um intentionally constructed that way and i think that um that's a huge you know check check mark in um how you make a sequel um feel familiar but also kind of like push it in new and interesting directions right amazing well let's go to act two so uh again structurally a little bit similar so you have sort of a rescue sequence um actually in both cases uh it's sarah connor so in the first one kind of the the police station um the second one, it's Pescadero uh, State Hospital. And uh, then there's sort of uh, a time where these characters are on the run from the authorities, uh, isolated, alone, um, not really sure what to do, trying to basically just avoid uh, this killing machine. So um, that's a great segue. Uh, we'd be completely remiss to not talk about uh, Sarah Connor, by the way. So this is I think a great time to talk about the evolution of that character. And May, I'm going to go to you first on this one. I did have a small throw your popcorn moment in the first movie watching uh, her her interactions with, with Reese. Because I know the point of it is it's all very rushed and like his lines are very cheesy and unrealistic too. But um, yeah, just like the the idea of this, this woman like being head over heels in love with this man who basically came out of a dumpster uh, <laughs> and, spent <Don't> one, <laughs> and spent one night with her and also kind of upended her life, you know, in a way. Um, I don't know. That kind of made me mad. Uh, but yeah, it's one of those things you have to just, like, yeah, yeah. Just go, okay. <laughs> it's, it's star-crossed lovers, you know, whatever. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But I, I feel you. I totally feel you. Like, um that line of like we loved a lifetime's worth and like you met this guy like eight hours ago but i i, I feel you. it's the disney princess timeline sarah connor's is a disney princess we'll just frame it that way uh, <laughs> in the second movie however i thought it was really cool uh that um i don't know it, just, it felt like she was like actually driving the action and a lot more autonomous Although she did kind of have a nice moment towards the end of the first film with being the one to actually finally kill the T-800 and the the smusher. But um, yeah, I I thought it was interesting that the angle they took with her was that she would have been, I mean, trying to do what she could to change the future, 
but also being upfront about that when she's like caught that kind of surprised me I don't know how I feel about that plot point because I feel like she would have the intelligence to know she should make up some other reason uh or maybe it she thought it'd be preferable to end up in an asylum rather than jail I don't know but yeah, I think if you're trying to blow up a computer factory, no matter what you tell, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like it's probably not. You're gonna, gonna get wash, locked up somewhere. Somewhere. Yeah, yeah, that's that's fair. Um, but yeah, no, it was it was cool to see her evolution. She's just like a really badass character, uh, and I see why she became like an icon after this. I want those glasses. <laughs> Sunglasses, <laughs> yeah, those are very very cool. What do you make of like? Um, uh again like I, i'm gonna use air quotes for like the rescue sequence because it seems like she's got it kind of under control you know the only reason that she kind of gets briefly recaptured is because she's hauling ass thinking that like this terminator's here to kill her but um what do you make of that like um i don't know like that transition i, I thought was such a a nice twist on it right like did you enjoy that hospital sequence i did i did in fact the only thing that made me upset is like and I, I, I get why she says it. It's for me, the perfect conflict in a film is when both characters are very justified, but they're still terrible to each other. And like, I, the way she treats her son is really shitty at times because mm. she buried him for coming to save her. And it's like, of course he did. Cause he's a little kid. He's been alone and he's terrified. And he wants his mom. Um, and she just like, does not give him any like empathy or sympathy. It's just like, why the fuck did you do this? Never do this again. Like I can handle myself kind of thing um and it's like it's sad but it's also very revealing of their characters because like she lost Reese because he was protecting her so I get why she would not want the person that she feels like she was placed on the planet to birth and protect risking his life for her um so yeah that was just like a very raw moment and like <laughs> what's wrong with your eyes like you know the whole the way that all plays yeah. out is uh <laughs> is you know it's devastating but um but in a beautiful way um, coming up I, from the floor of the t1000 that was a really cool part too oh my yes. god i was yeah, telling dude. may my dad got in hot water because he took me to see this in theaters when i was five and ah. uh because my parents had separated recently and i i'm sure i begged him to go because i had the action figures um but <laughs> um I, that i had nightmares for like months uh and like would like step on like the tile floor and be like hey, is anybody down there yeah t1000 you gonna come up out of the, up <laughs> the floor um but yeah that, that i mean again we take for granted like how um you know basic like those special but back then like would have been impossible for people to really understand like how it was it would have seemed like magic i'm sure because cgi had only been used in uh i think technically two other films uh young sherlock holmes and the abyss and that was it mm. jurassic park would come out of course a couple of years later and and uh, people would become much more familiar with cgi but yeah how about you what do you uh, what do you make of the hospital sequence again i'm gonna say like the rescue like and kind yeah. of air quotes because that's what's yeah. intended to be but i think it's very different from the first film I just love that Sarah Connor gets to like kick everyone's ass. Like that was for me. And she does it so like fluidly. And then she just takes up that baton and just sort of like shimmies down the hallway. Like, no, we're, I just, it's, it's great. And my wife and I watched it actually when we were, uh, when I was watching it for this podcast. And when she does that, 
every, it's like she uh my wife was like that is she is so hot right now like <laughs> uh rachel just loves sarah connor's character and i um i have to agree man i mean she's just, just she is just very empowered and she is a badass and she knows how to get shit done and anybody who's in her way it's like no either get on my team or you better move and so just to watch that versus like kind of like what sort of uh mirroring what you guys have talked about before in the first one where it's very much she's just kind of going with reese's plan whatever that may be and you know until she finally at the very end it's up to her to to get the the killing blow against the terminator um and this one with all the training that she's got now and just how she knows how to fight and she knows how to to get around anybody who's trying to take her down and not necessarily be lethal about it you know just know how to incapacitate the people that are around her i just thought that was really cool and to see that uh, for me i liked the villain aspect of like this uh with the t-1000 and sort of the ability to just shape shift into anything to a certain degree i know that it does have its limitations but just that that alloy that's able to to shape shift and either uh, mimic other people or uh to turn into these weapons that it can use and just that whole chase sequence where he jumps onto the back of the police car and uses his little hooks to hang on and so yeah just stuff like that i just thought that was so cool as an idea for that type of um, robotic villain i thought was it was interesting because i don't really remember anything else around that time frame being sort of on par with that sort of threatening character you mentioned the abyss and i think that a lot of ways sort of the cgi in a couple of scenes in that film mirror a lot of like the the liquid sort of effects that you get out of the t-1000 um, but yeah, I just, I, I thought it was great. I thought it was, um, it was thrilling to see the evolution of the character. And then also to get that interplay between her and her son. And then also to get a lot more from, from the, from Arnold's character, from the, from that Terminator version that comes back, because he's a lot more vocal in this, uh, in this one as well. And so just to kind of see as he's learning about their characters and that interplay, I thought was really cool. Yeah, yeah it's, no. it's a very creative film, which I mm -hmm. think is another reason I really liked it is because sometimes action is just like guns, explosions, and that's it. Whereas mm -hmm. like you have so many possibilities, the T-1000, and I feel like they did take advantage of the fact, that fact um, mm -hmm. in a cool way. Also, you reminded me of the part where she breaks the nose of the guy that licked her, and I did cheer when she did that. Oh my gosh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And man, it's like, there's always every like like asylum or like anywhere there's like psychiatric help in like Hollywood I don't know what it is about that's I mean hopefully that's not like reflective of, of too much of reality but it's like there's always that one creeper in every single version that does stuff and then you're just like you're waiting for it you're like when are they going to get their comeuppance and it is it's so it's so nice it's so nice just to see him just get whacked so very satisfying <laughs> yeah those are real blows that she's raining down on him because apparently he kept blowing um, some of the takes where I forget. I think like it's supposed to be when he's um, trying to help subdue her and it was like a very painful thing for her to have to like keep was a lot of physical effort. So apparently when she's smacking the shit out of him, she's really smacking the shit out of him because she's like was frustrated. It had been like a really tough day of like filming or something. 
This oh is an God. IMDb trivia, so take it with a grain of salt. But like, yeah, apparently she was really walking up pretty hard. I'm sure that was a stunt stick, like not like a real billy club, but still, I'm I'm sure it did feel great. You know, she's got some no. some pretty big guns. Like, I wouldn't want to be hit even with a stunt stick by uh, Linda Hamilton. So Linda Hamilton really is a badass. So you better watch it or yeah. watch out. Yeah, I I think one of the things I love about this one over two is that like it takes a, it takes some time to like slow down the um uh action like so to speak and when i say action i mean like chases guns and explosions there is a brief chase at the end of like when they're leaving the hospital but this scene is all about suspense right it really like this whole sequence is like to establish that sarah's become very capable um and that she is um relatively fearless you don't really see her any kind of rattled until the t-800 comes out of the elevator which is very understandable uh but i think it's such a great suspenseful sequence like how it's constructed with her hiding behind pillars you know not even realizing that the guard she's hiding from is a t1000 right like you know but she doesn't know has no idea that this thing's hunting her so it's like oh my god oh my god oh my god the terminators told us like if he finds her like she's dead meat like he's going to copy her right um and yeah like the obviously the chase scene out uh with the the sword coming down through the the elevator yeah. uh, ceiling is incredible. And again, just a great character moment for Sarah Connor, right? Like you contrast this to the first film where she would just normally be kind of ducking and hiding. And her first instinct is to grab the gun out of the back of the T-800's pants. And she just starts fucking shooting. Like it is <laughs> telling you without telling you that like, no, like she's not afraid. Like she is going to leap into action. And it's so satisfying. Like I love that sequence and just seeing like, um, she doesn't really stop to ask questions. She's like, okay, this thing is trying to like fuck us up. Uh, here's something that I can do about it. And like, just, just boom, like it's, it's amazing. Um, kind of adjacent to like the, or in this like same act is kind of more of that, like on, on the run, you know, stuff that you saw in the first film, which is a nice little deep breath before you go into the finale. So, um, I, I wanted to kind of, uh, get your take on, um this is where like that bond really solidifies between like the t800 and and john and um we see sarah really is sort of separate right like i think in a lot of these sequences and i think now you pointed out she's a little cold and callous to her son and as you're watching this you're like it doesn't seem like she loves them and then of course like kind of realize a little bit later on that's not necessarily the case she's sort of uh hardened herself um what did you guys think of, uh, I guess, for lack of a better word, like the Terminator, like becoming like a, a dad figure, you know, in those scenes? Because, I mean, they, again, the VO kind of like really drives the point home in case you weren't understanding the high fives and stuff is what was going on there. But um, what did you make of Daddy T-800? <laughs> um, I thought it was interesting, um especially like the way the voiceover phrases it because she's just kind of like it's implied through some of the like uh back and forth between john and the t800 when he's talking about his mom that like she's had a whole slew of boyfriends that did not make the cut basically and it's it's because she (laughs) was waiting for this perfect killing machine Yeah. Well, he's like, oh, she just opened her mouth about Judgment Day, and that's all she wrote. Like, you know, um, like John even like he even as a young child sort of recognizes like, you know, just he's like, don't don't mention Judgment Day, don't mention Judgment Day, and then whoop. 
Oh, you don't know about Judgment Day. Uh, yeah, so here's what's going to happen. First date topics, right? <laughs> yeah. I just imagine like, like a, 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 you know, modern days, like internet dating, like uh, first date, you're over at the pizzeria having a beer and a slice. And like, Oh, boy. It's even better if it's like speed dating, right? Like, just get that out of the way real fast. How good are you at jerry-rigging explosions? <laughs> oh, well, let me tell you. <laughs> I once took a class about how to do that. <laughs> how easily can you get assault rifles? I've got a bunker. You've got a what? <laughs> <laughs> I do how love that aspect of her for? character, that she's just got this, like, doomsday bunker, like, already ready to go. And it's kind of implied this is just one of many caches that, like, she's got, like, around the world. She's uh, a prepper. Cassie. <laughs> he mentions that he grew up in Nicaragua. Like that's, I was like, what? That's that's kind of cool as a young kid. Uh, minus the riding around in helicopters and shooting machine guns, I guess. But like, yeah, um, yeah. I think th- this is like worse. Like I don't know. Like some of the best um, like moments for me, like com- like come with the T eight hundred and John, and uh, as an audience member, like getting invested and wanting to see the T eight hundred, like stick around and 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 be there, right? Like it's the first time John seems halfway well adjusted. Like he's sort of accepted um, his position and that all this is real, you know, earlier in the film, he's like, ah, everything I was led to believe was all bullshit. And like, he's got all this frustration and, and um, now it's like, Oh wow. Like, okay. Like, so my mom wasn't mentally ill. Like this is actually something that is happening uh, even better. Like I now have this amazing invincible, like killing machine that's going to be there for me. And uh, like, teaching him phrases and all of that kind of stuff that you can like tell that he like wants this thing to to kind of be cool right like not just be present but like to be a buddy essentially i don't know i i I love all those uh those like little sequences i think they're so uh important to to elevating the film like to give it a heart basically right it's cute i couldn't help but like look look at john and like see a kid who like in a lot of ways takes care of Sarah like she is she's a very badass like character but I feel like he still feels like emotionally he has to take care of her he's literally like handing her clips when she runs out of bullets (laughs) like um I and I, I feel like he's generally very averse to any kind of authority figure and i think that's partly why he gets along with the t-800 so well is because t-800 has no authority he just does whatever john says basically uh but is also someone he doesn't have to take care of um and to me that's kind of point the that the the basis of that connection which is like a little bit sad because like it's clear like Sarah's taking great care of John in terms of like trying to avert this future disaster make sure he gets through it but there's there's not really an emotional care there. And I feel like it definitely comes through in how like John has like John's behavioral issues that he has. Yeah, th- I think there is. It's she just refuses to let him see it, right? Like you at the end, like we'll get there. Like we do get to see that finally. Yeah. Like, but it's like she's wall almost walled her because she's like, this isn't what you need. You don't need nurturing. Like you don't need ma- like maternal affection. That's only going to soften you up. And it's very trash. I mean, it's horrible, yeah. you know, to, to, to witness because I mean, I think you could make the argument that it's like, it's borderline child abuse really like, you know, any other circumstances, like, you know, sure. Like it's a sci-fi, like, you know, fantasy, like scenario, but um, it is pretty abusive behavior towards your, towards your child. 
Whereas the T-800 does indulge him on silly stuff, right? Like, <laughs> tries to learn his lingo and uh, will, like, stand on one foot for him and, like, like stuff like that. <laughs> and, like, that stuff Sarah would just, like, shoot him a death clear if he asked her to do. <laughs> I know. For me, the... Uh, the... <laughs> I didn't like the voiceovers, truthfully. I thought they detracted from the scenes. And don't get me wrong, like I love the character of Sarah Connor and I love Linda Hamilton. I just didn't like the voiceovers. It just, it felt awkward. Some of the stuff that she said still felt kind of weird, just overall. And I guess kind of getting back to what we were joking about, about the about her character always, you know, trying to find that perfect guy that was gonna be there to believe what she was dealing with. Um, but in some respects, it just, uh, I don't know. I feel like there's just so much to have that be like a point where it's it is PTSD what she went through dealing with this first robot to just suddenly trusting him so much. Like I don't know if it were me, and I, I this is after going through like you know all the dark sci-fi that we've seen with other sort of AI ideas about the future, like Cylons and Battlestar Galactica, or you know, where it's always, there's always that question about, are they really always on your side? Or is there like another little switch that's going to flip and maybe he's going to be bad again later? I feel like there's a lot more trusting that goes on between her and the T-800 in this. Just maybe it's for the plot or maybe there's something else there that she senses when she watches him and John. Uh, we do get the feedback from him to John that he's programmed to listen to whatever he tells him to do so as an audience we sort of we take that faith that he's going to be there and it's going to be okay and it's Arnold Schwarzenegger so we you know there's sort of that too like we want him to be the good guy um but for Sarah Connor's uh Sarah Connor's character it just seemed very I felt like there had to have been a little bit more there that just wasn't in the cut to try and establish sort of that trust a bit more than just the this is what we're dealing with right now in this moment. For her to be so trusting of him to be with her son moving forward seemed odd. But then again, she's had to kind of go on the fly with a lot about what the future is going to be like, just based on, like you said, with Reese being there for hours. And suddenly it's like all this, you know, you know plot is crammed into that little amount of time and trust. So, you know, it's, it's sort of, it, it goes with it. It mirrors the first one in that respect. And so it makes sense. Yeah. Um, it's like what point. choice do you have and also like if this thing really wanted to kill him they it wouldn't ride around the city for an entire evening you know like on a motorcycle like um let's let's roll to uh to act three which is the finale uh right off the rip uh you're just gonna say no awkward sex scene that's already a huge uh plus uh, it would have been odd considering the protector, I guess, like this time, especially. But yeah, so let's talk about the finale, right? Like, so um, I think what I uh, really in particular want to focus on, obviously, like the action sequences as well, uh, but like the resolution of the film. And I did want to um, touch a bit on um what kicks off the finale which is sarah going to uh miles dyson's house like i think like that's a very important character moment and i've got some things to say but i want to hear from you guys first so go ahead uh will i guess we'll just we'll start with you first on on this one so i had a hard time watching that scene where she goes into dyson's home um the first time when i was a kid watching that yeah. um and I still, I mean, even now, especially in our current climate, I have a really hard time watching that scene. And it's just, 
because you want to root for Sarah Connor, but it's like, it's also her taking that to the extreme and her decision to just want to like murder this guy and to see his kid try and defend him in their house in this home invasion, essentially, is just, it's really like, it's an oh shit moment in a lot of ways. And it's just, you know, it's great that Sarah doesn't follow through on it. But at the same point, I always felt bad for Dyson because it's this guy who very much like all the other characters in the Terminator universe are thrown in the, into this realization of how shitty the future is going to be and what part they do or don't play in it. And we have to go and fix this right now. And he just seemed like an all around, like genuinely nice guy who was trying to do something that was going to help humanity and suddenly realized that everything that he was going to do was going to cause the end of the world or have some influence on that and so you know for him to then want to fix that but then you know what happens to him in the end it's just like it's he gets a really shitty end uh, i guess i'm not really sure what else would have happened because if they had found out he was part of blowing up that building you know what's the result that you think is going to happen to him afterwards if he's not dead like he ends up in the film but it's still it's like i just i felt bad for his character the whole way through um i think at the end though in spite of that the rest of the storyline is like a kick-ass action sequence because you know you've got the t-800 with the minigun you've got the action with all the cops the fact that he says he's not going to kill anybody so watching him like try to immobilize a bunch of the police without you know any fatalities and just kicking their butts was pretty awesome i i think that the special effects too i mean coming back in with like the the t-1000 and sort of his whole thing how he gets around all of that um the chase scene again we got another one that comes up with the helicopter which was really cool and just watching how much he is very like the t-1000 to me was always sort of menacing because he's never really you don't see him i mean the the first one the t-800 was never really like worried about anything going on either but it's just sort of like that in control cool he's gonna just zero in on you and then he, once he finds you man he's gonna start coming and he's not gonna stop and so that was that was always really cool to watch that whole sequence play out but it's kind of rambling about my thoughts on that so i'm gonna no, no, wrap no. it up yeah. on there and, and pass it back to you guys but those are sort of the highlights that i thought about uh at least sort of leading up to the big climax in at, at the very very end but we can come back to that sure yeah i i agree that's the the home invasion scene is is very uncomfortable in a way i think it is partially intentional but i think like yes. with where we're at now with like you know, largely white policemen like barging into black people's homes unannounced and like that kind of thing. Like this feels even more uncomfortable now in 2022. Um, and uh, yeah, I agree. I feel really bad for Miles Dyson. Um, it is interesting that uh, Sarah kind of starts going on a rant even after the moment's been largely diffused about like how, you know, scientists are always like this. They'll build like nuclear weapons, never thinking about or taking accountability for like how those weapons are going to be used and that kind of thing. And I can't remember if it's John or the T-800, but someone's just John. like, just <laughs> yeah. like, uh, shut up mom, basically. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like yeah, we, we don't need this right now. <laughs> yeah, be constructive, I think is what he says. Yeah. Need right, <laughs> right. Which is great because like they are kind of yin and yang in a way in terms of like they are both, at least at 
this point in the film, uh, knowledgeable of and accepting of what's going to happen in the future. And I think Sarah feels very defeated in that and that kind of fuels her extremism. Whereas like John, I think partly because he's a kid, um, has a more hopeful outlook and extends more humanity to people like Dyson than, than Sarah does. Um, and I think that it is a, because it's an uncomfortable moment, but it does like, I think in an important way, like complicate her character uh, and show that like one, she's still dealing with trauma and it has like in some ways dehumanized her and like made her less willing to like, she could have just gone to Dyson's house and been like, hey, I need to like talk to you about this and show you this thing and showed him the Terminator and tried to have a conversation, right? Um, but instead she went in with guns blazing because that's kind of like what she's figured she has to do at this point because she's been in so many life and death situations. So yeah, I, I like that it kind of complicated her character and like there's the, the I think it's called like a Mary Sue like kind of effect with like super like overpowered female protagonists and I like when they're any protagonist has kind of like a moral gray zone that they enter or spend some time in right yeah. um so I I, I I liked that that scene was in there but it was definitely uncomfortable and like has probably aged so poorly compared to the rest of the film yeah I I mean, I think it's a, a, a really critical scene to the movie. I mean, it's, uh, you know, an unfortunate, like, unintentional side effect that, like, current events have sort of made it a little bit harder to watch than it already was. And it was, I think, well, like, I agree with you, it was always a very tough, like, sequence to begin with. Um, I think it is important. And for, like, one key reason is that, like, John and the T-800 are too late to actually stop her when they arrive, but she makes the choice on her own. And I think that's a yeah. key component to keeping that character right there, like with the audience to be able to continue to root for her is that she makes the choice on her own. I think if John and the T-800 show up and like stop her, you're at best, like you, you doubt sort of like who she is like at her core at that point or what she might be capable of. Whereas like watching her like decide to put the gun down, like despite you know doing some terrible stuff like along the way like she kind of stops on the brink um and it's uh yeah it's a good a good bit of like or a beautiful bit of character building i think um she also becomes dangerously close to becoming a terminator like i was watching that sequence uh this most recent time going like like oh my god like you could just you could tell somebody like out of context that like oh linda hamilton played the terminator like in this film and like here's an action sequence where she's trying to take out like a computer programmer and it would be totally believable right like how methodical she is like just you know trying to snipe them and then fully automatic fire and then you know until obviously she starts getting um like yelly and screamy and all that stuff like she is very terminator-esque and i think that's probably by design as well but um what about really the uh, what about the like kind of like the final like chase i do want to talk about like the 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 last little bit for just a couple minutes but like final chase sequence man the t-1000 in the helicopter <laughs> was awesome <laughs> yeah I, I mean like the i was telling may um that helicopter pilot like really flew underneath like a freeway like twice to get to get that shot i mean i think um again talking about upping upping the stakes but it's also kind of nice that like what kind of compels them there is like or like what brings them to that point is that they go on the offensive which again is a very different feel from the first movie where it's reactive right like 
they're running away whereas like for the, they get to sort of run towards like controlling their destiny which thematically is like a big part of like what this movie is all about right like the, the future's not set like take control of your own fate and i think um it's kind of cool that like the chase scene is um yeah it's 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 similar to the i mean right down to like they wipe out and then get back in the car and then there's like another little bit of like of a chase that happens after that um but it is kind of on the heels of um, them getting to take some decisive action, which is which is really cool. My favorite bit um, it was like the inversion of I'll be back where like in the first film, when he says that it's like, I'm going to drive into this building and kill a bunch of people. And this like, I'm going to drive in this uh, building and pull your asses out of the fire. Right. Like again, the, not that the Terminator would recognize it or it would register, but he's putting himself at risk basically to like rescue somebody. And I just, that inversion. So, so cool. Yeah. Um, well, let's, let's just talk about the end, uh, which is like, I always <laughs> get a little teary eyed. Um, so, Aww. you know, the T-1000, T-800 have their climactic uh, inevitable uh, battle. A um, couple of good little like hand-to-hand sequences, but uh the ultimate resolution of the film is that the T-800 reveals that to really stop Judgment Day, he's going to have to sacrifice himself, um, you know, and, and there's a sort of discussion and conversation. Um, May, I want to hear from you first on this one, because it was so great to, again, see somebody react to that for the first time, because it, it is a very universal reaction, I think, to that, where it's like, what? No. Because I, I, I personally was not convinced. I'm like uh or i mean earlier in this i can't remember if it was in the first terminator in this one but they revealed that they can like continue to operate for like 120 years or something like that right Mm -hmm. and it it would be to their advantage to have a terminator on their side especially if you know something happens and then maybe someone in another part of the world develops the same tech and judgment day does end up happening in a different way like it'd be super useful to have a terminator protector like strategically if it makes you sense have unknowingly predicted you've unknowingly predicted yeah. <laughs> the plot yep. of one of the terminator sequels i just want you to yep. know <laughs> That's true. well hollywood That's true. i'm available for work uh <laughs> but like uh, so yeah i didn't buy it it felt just like uh oh we have to like uh it just felt like a, a, a pointless twist to me i hated it also it felt like John has lost so much in his life. Just like give him this. He needs a, a friend, a therapy terminator. Like <laughs> <laughs> the therapy terminator. Uh, I mean, I suppose like to be a little bit of a like he's not in great shape. The T eight hundred. No. He's he's not blending in, is he? <laughs> You're not going into a Denny's and having like a Grand Slam breakfast with uh with that sitting next to you. <laughs> like, no, and I guess. The thing is, like, I thought that the skin could repair because they have like that whole conversation earlier when he has all these bullet holes and he's like, yeah, that'll heal up soon. So, oh, yeah, but he's missing like an arm, you know, like it's just like Anakin like, Skywalker that shit. I don't know. But... <laughs> nice. <laughs> I feel you, though. Like, I mean, it is uh, it is a, a cruel twist of fate. And I think like, again, it's a it's a it's a choice, I think, to really kind of drive that knife in a little bit. And, yeah, uh, it's meant to be a bit of a tearjerker moment. I think it's successful largely, but uh, well, uh, how about you? Uh, do you remember like the first time you, you saw this, like how you felt when you realized that uh, Daddy T800's going bye bye? 
Okay, kind of the same way, kind of the, well, you know, seems like that might not really work in your favor, but I can understand the logic behind why you think that's the way to go. And he's sort of the one to to bring it up anyway. He thinks that that's the best way to do it. So they kind of follow along with his plan. Um, but yeah, it's, you're never really sure, especially with the whole, well, and I guess because of the fact that Terminator in and of itself is very much paradox, because John Connor doesn't exist unless the future that he's fighting exists technically since Reese comes back in time so it's always weird to me like watching these two films and how they and I, I have used the word mirror each other like probably five times now but sort of as they mirror each other it's it's interesting to watch how both John Connor and Skynet don't really exist in the future unless they exist in the past and so you know like where we have John Connor happens because Reese goes back in time in the first one well, then they talk about how the work that is used based on the damaged T-800 is what creates Skynet eventually. So it's sort of like you can't have one without the other, but, you know, it's it's that weird sort of paradox trippiness. I love that. that. That's my favorite you, thing about these films. I think like yeah. at its core is that like it just embraces this idea of like this weird loop mm -hmm. of stuff that... Yeah. yeah sorry cut you off but yeah. no it's fine uh it sort of also reminds me in, in may to your point about the the sequel that you have described which <laughs> would definitely recommend checking out sort of plays with that idea a little bit more and changes dark fate is that, is that what you're yes oh yeah. it was so good i loved it and i thought it was uh, yeah. a great I, twist. me too that's i think that's the closest they ever come to like having like a really like genuinely like great sequel like we'll talk in a second mm -hmm. about some sequels but yeah. that's the most recent one linda hamilton comes back oh uh, yeah so Dark Fate. yeah so that sort of idea about how and you're right in some ways it's the future isn't always set and it morphs a little bit and it you know it depends on the past and the past depends on the future and so in some ways you're like judgment day may or may not still happen or some variation may or may not still happen so I would definitely side on the idea of let's keep the T-800 around just the case because I don't know how many times they can keep sending people back in time like certainly this device has like a certain amount of power that it can or can't use and who knows who's got control of it and if you know they keep sending people back in time how are they doing that you know it, there's a lot of logistical stuff behind it that you kind of I mean suspend disbelief for as well but you know, you're like, I don't know how many shots we're going to get. So maybe just keep him around for like that set duration of time. So that will be okay if we need him. And if not, then, eh, you know, take our chances. But yeah, I was kind of on the same fence where I thought, does he really have to do it? You know, I, I get why, but uh, no, you need him. <laughs> He's I mean, really let's cool. Let's just admit it. Like as an audience <laughs> member, like take all that aside. You just don't want to see like john lose that companion right that's yeah. been such a, a bright spot for him right i think yeah. that's i mean the the thumbs up um you know at the uh, of course is like just such a masterful touch it's like one little last gesture of this is something yeah. you taught me um also kind of saying like it's going to be okay um this the, not the cynic in me but the realist in me that like you know it to burst my own bubble I, I do love it's like it's a little touch like a blink and you miss it thing but like where you know he clearly like says to John uh, I know now why you cry but it's something I can never do and he hugs John and like on its surface level you're like oh this is a, a you know like a nice like gesture and then he is complete like the, the t800 when he looks at Sarah you, re he, you realize he's just doing it to like 
you know, get John to consent to like what he needs to do. Like there's no tenderness there. And it's kind of a heartbreaking like realization where you're like, oh, like he doesn't feel the same affection because he's a machine, right? Like he's, he's not really capable of feeling the same affection. So it's a little, it's just a little bit more heartbreaking for me, like in that moment, because like, you know, he is hugging him, embracing him, but it's very empty. It's a one-sided kind of thing, you know? I was actually, I was just going to add, like, I love looking into like different theories of time travel. And there are actually two theories uh, that kind of like deal with like resolving paradoxes, like the fact that John wouldn't exist if, if Judgment Day didn't happen, uh, which listeners can go read about on their own. But there was one idea, which is that everything is like predetermined basically in the universe. And if you change something, something else will happen to make the same kind of end result occur, right? So like I would say with like someone else inventing the uh, like Terminator tech or whatever. Uh, the other one is just that anytime you go back in time, you're creating a parallel timeline and a parallel universe or world, basically. So it's like the, I guess, kind of like the multiverse theory resolves the time, time travel paradoxes, which is cool. Anyway, so I think it is fine. I don't think it's a paradox. <laughs> <laughs> that. yeah, that's kind of like like that's like the where like the premise of uh, Avengers Endgame comes from a little bit. Is that kind right. of like split like yeah reality mm-hmm. thing? Um, well, I do want to. Uh, the time has come to make a final judgment call on if this film is a unicorn or dead horse. Uh, I'll just go ahead and go first because my answer is going to be obvious. I think it's uh, Unicorn all the way. Like it's a shining example of how you do a sequel, how you can largely retread like old ground and do new and interesting things uh, while still kind of maintaining the identity of the the franchise. Um, And I think what this film has in spades that like the first one was lacking maybe a bit, like not through like, you know, lack of trying, I guess, but just uh, didn't really work for me much is like heart I feel like this movie has so much heart or like the first like genuine heart like where like the first movie uh, a lot of that stuff comes off as cheese like they're supposed to be romance but as Mace pointed out it doesn't really land too well most of the time um, I think this movie just has a, a big old golden heart and I love it and will always love it so unicorn for me definitely a unicorn um, like you said it took something that it built off of what came before it. It paid respect to what came before it, but it didn't try to just copy it. I mean, it was in a lot of ways reflective of the original source material and there might've been a, a similar pacing in certain scenes or mirroring of that. But it, ultimately at the end of it, it was it was trying to be something different, but also build off of that and make it more, to build more of that world and understanding of the characters and see evolution of those characters in ways that you might not have necessarily expected from the first one. And so to have that be the pleasant surprise, not only in the the villain of the story and who's now the, you know, the the protector, but also to see the characters that, or the character that you're familiar with from the first one and how she changes and becomes more empowered. And then how that then transitions to the next generation and actually seeing John Connor, who we only hear about in name and never really know about as a character in the first one. Um, to see where that's going to go is really cool. So definitely unicorn for me. I'm not going to break the vote unicorn. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, I mean, my reasons are pretty much explained by the past like hour we've been talking, but um, yeah, I just, I thought overall it was a fun movie on its own. And um, I feel like the only counter argument I'd have to it being unicorn is that it is so similar to the original uh and like almost a redo but it's a really really well done redo and um 
I feel like it takes all of the like creativity and, and camp of the first one and adds like a lot more well budget <laughs> professionalism and like cool action stuff to it in a way that just makes it work way better. So unicorn. <laughs> yeah, it's just more I think it's just a more substantial movie overall. Like if I was gonna summarize it and you know, like a word, like it's just like substantial. This movie feels um like there, there's a lot there you know well I, but i whether or not like some of its like heady ideas like actually are as interesting as it thinks it is like i, I think at the end of the day it doesn't really matter because it's entertaining as hell like you know what i mean just it's very successful so yeah all right well i'm glad that um we're unanimous on that one that felt like kind of a softball one when i threw it onto our <laughs> list but um i just love the movie yeah. too much to not throw it on there so yeah um it's all good man. man. I believe you have a little trivia on your board. So before we pivot to a little fun game, uh, why don't you go ahead and take it away for a second? Yeah, as we, as we transition from our super serious analysis to fun time, uh, my trivia question is, which Terminator of the, of the franchise, uh, which film, had the biggest budget? And just to recap, the franchise includes the original Terminator, Terminator 2 Judgment Day, Terminator 3, Terminator Salvation, Terminator Genesis, and Terminator Dark Fate. I'm going to say three. That's my guess. Okay. Locking it in? Yeah. All right, about you, Will? I'm going to go with Dark Fate because it's James Cameron and he likes money. And I know T2 was a lot more than the original Terminator, so I feel like he's just going to keep asking for more money to make that sequel. So I'm going to go with Dark Fate. Okay, Chris, Terminator 3 had a budget of 170 million. Dark Fate had a budget of 185 million. Ah, damn. And Salvation had a budget oh, of 200 million. Oh, so yeah. it is actually yeah, Terminator Salvation. Damn. Christian Bale. <laughs> was my second guess, like yeah. yeah. It was just it, it was just Christian Bale's uh, I'm assuming salary. it was just his salary, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure that was a c- contributing factor. Yeah. Um so here's my quick little like one sentence review of each of these like sequels. Uh, if you're on the fence, anybody, uh, but may especially since you've watched the first two, I think three is the least offensive, like, and probably like the one I'm most numb to. Like, I think it's um, interesting, like to see where they like decided to go like as a sequel, but not very interesting overall. Not bad, not good. Salvation, if you want more of the future, like that's your movie. If you want to see the war with the machines, I think it has some great ideas um, and RIP Anton Yelchin's in it. It's really nice to see him when he was still alive and acting before he tragically died. Um, that's a very, very, um, you know, interesting movie, if a little uneven. Uh, I did not see Genesis, so I don't have much to offer other than I've heard it's like abysmal. Um, and I think it's PG-13, right? Isn't that wasn't that one PG-13? So, yeah, yeah. Um, I've heard it's terrible though. Uh, and then Dark Fate is by far the best of the sequels after two. It's not as good as one, but like if you're coming at this like as a newbie, you might think it's superior to, to the first one. But I was very pleasantly surprised. Avoid spoilers. The opening of that movie, uh, the opening five minutes was what sold me on it. I thought it was such an interesting, cool surprise. And that's all I'll say. Um, okay. Agreed. I w- I'll throw it out there for Genesis. Um, I didn't hate it. It was different. It was it was trying to do something <laughs> else. Uh, I don't necessarily, I didn't vibe with it. I didn't want to roll with that, but I appreciated it for the fact of what it tried to do. It tried to like 
I guess in its own way, this whole subverting of expectation or like flipping everything and like suddenly taking the characters that you know and changing them all, just shuffling them around, but like the same basic storyline, but just like, what if? It was sort of like a Marvel's what if, but for Terminator. And it's not uh. necessarily like awful. It's just not, I don't know. It doesn't have the same level as the other films, I feel like. So I would say appreciate it as like a fanfic, but... <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely not the yeah it's not at the top of the list so the 50 shades of gray to uh <laughs> yeah that's why i, like. Twilight. I hate that, <laughs> I don't know that reference yeah. even but yeah <laughs> yep. oh boy i do want to also while we have two seconds i just want to just throw it out there for lance Henriksen and bill paxton uh for being the only two people yes. who have fought a terminator a predator and an alien and so that's just I, I have to have to mention yeah. some names there and give credit where credit's due. Yeah, the the sci-fi hat trick of like you know I think all of them are killed by each of those, right? Like spoiler alert, I guess for some of those pretty movies that we sure. haven't talked about. Yeah, pretty. I mean, unless did Bill uh, did Bill Paxton when he was the punk in the first Terminator? Did he just get thrown around or did he actually get murdered? I can't remember. Oh no, he, yeah, he. I think he's like canonically supposed to be dead. Yeah. Okay, then yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so, they uh they what an them, honor man so. <laughs> <laughs> no but good shout that's amazing yeah um so uh let's end with a little uh keyword countdown i did make a new selection of films here again try to pick stuff that i felt like both of you uh would know um and if you haven't seen it certainly like know enough about uh as a quick recap uh, so Keyword Countdown is a game created by Gavin Murphy from RKG Video, which just released a new series of Retry. They're playing Demon Souls. It's a lot of fun. Uh, he has given his blessing for us to use this. Uh, so again, this is not a screen quest creation. This is a Gavin Mur Murphy special. special. Ah. The way the game works is I've got five films, 10 clues apiece. I'm going to read out the clues one at a time. The clues are IMDb plot keywords from the site imdb.com going to start very generic and work my way to more specific the 10th clue is usually a giveaway uh will and may uh whatever clue you guess it on you will um obtain a certain amount of points given uh, how many clues are remaining so if you guess it on clue five you get six points because you do get credit for the clue that you guessed it on simple enough nice. all right film number one are we ready Let's go. Oh, yeah. All right. I almost said the film title. Jesus Christ. All <laughs> right. Clue number one. Crying in the shower. Crying in the shower. Throw out a Hail Mary. Yeah. It's uh, these are vague clues. So for the first few. Casino Royale. That is oh, a damn. great guess, but it's not. <laughs> that, that is a great that guess. Is, Holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Nice. Poor, poor Vespa's. Uh all right, clue number two, self-sacrifice. This could be off because I haven't seen it, but Midsummer. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that. <laughs> I think someone commit, uh, gives the clue. Life, but... I'm not going to comment on one way or the other. May or may not be accurate. <laughs> <laughs> All right, clue number three, father-son relationship. All right, I'm going to move on to clue number four. Teamwork. <laughs> Teamwork. The X-Files. <laughs> nope. 
All right. Clue number five. We're going to start kind of narrowing the scope a little bit now. Headphones. <laughs> Headphones. I mean, again, they're like no, uh, no negative um, impacts to guessing. So feel free. The only thing that comes to mind for headphones is Baby Driver, which doesn't fit the other. <laughs> yeah, that's a great movie, though. And um, yeah, you're right. Headphones definitely fits the bill there. Teamwork, you could say, definitely fits the, yeah, uh, the bill there. Yeah, for a while. Yeah, yeah, for a while. All right. Clue number six, sticky hands, sticky hands. <laughs> This is a Spider-Man movie. <laughs> He's not talking. I think it is. And I have no idea which one. <laughs> <laughs> mm. Clue which number Spider-Man? seven. <laughs> <laughs> Origin of a hero. Origin of a hero. Uh, it's got to be The Spider-Man. original spider <laughs> Yeah. It's got to be Spider-Man. Okay. Oh, um, it's not. I don't remember any of the subtitles. Clue number eight. CGI animation. CGI oh, animation. Spider-Man. Spider-Man 2. The amazing Spider-Man. <laughs> Spider-Man Far From Home. <laughs> Venom? <laughs> All right, so it's not Spider-Man. We're serious about this? Okay. Clue number nine. Multiverse. <laughs> Into the Spider-Verse? Yes, it is into the side of the Good job. Wait a minute. Hey. Hold on. Hold on. Oh. You didn't, I promise. You said everything but that. Oh, <laughs> sorry, <on>. man. <laughs> is two points. Arguably, for, arguably yeah. the best Spider-Man movie. But yeah, it's I my favorite. Agree. Yeah. yeah. Um, the final clue, which wouldn't have really helped you from where you were at, uh, uh, for for you two, was spider bite. So <laughs> you had you had narrowed it down enough, but yeah. So to kind of recap, uh, crying in the shower, self sacrifice, father son relationship, teamwork, headphones, uh, sticky hands. So you know, Miles always has his uh, yeah. headphones. Yeah. At the uh, origin of the hero, CGI animation. Uh, nice job. Nice job. All right, it's two the points. The only for one I remember the day the name of. And that's all you needed that's all you needed that's right it's all that matters all right two points remain nice nicely done uh next film clue number one one word title Amelie. armageddon <laughs> you either one could be right but start at the beginning are. of the alphabet yeah <laughs> oh my goodness uh neither of those are correct but um fine guesses for, for the clue jaws yeah oh, no damn Terminator. Uh, clue- uh, <laughs> uh, it's the Terminator, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> <What an idiot. laughs> no. <laughs> love you, buddy. Uh, here we go. Clue, clue number two. Uh, birthday party. <laughs> birthday party. Clue number three. Morse code. Clue number four. Public urination. Public urination. Parasite. It is. Yes. Wow. Nice, <laughs> nice job. I hate that that's the clue that made it click for me. Nice. No, yeah. I mean, it's a very one-off scene. So I was like, I'm going to put this in here because I, I don't know. I'm like, with the clues before, but I mean, really all good of, job. All of the toilet stuff was super gross. Yeah. Yeah. Um, wow. Really good job. Uh, the remaining clues were mistaken for a ghost, allergy, family relationships, <laughs> basement, 
class differences in South Korea. Yeah, those uh, last three were. Uh, again, try to try to you know, it's hard to make this game. I feel like it right? is a lot of it is so subjective as far as like how hard a clue you know difficult a clue is because certain things resonate you know like with you. So that's that's uh, so nine points for me. Will you're still in it, my guy? Do not worry. There's plenty. We have three films remaining. Plenty uh, of. Uh, points left up for grabs <laughs> here we go here's your next film clue number one cult film troll two <laughs> imagine it is rocky not. horror <laughs> uh it is not both good guesses for a first clue bill and ted's excellent adventure it is not pulp fiction ah. it is not all right we're gonna go to clue number two <laughs> written by director Sure, it's not Troll 2. <laughs> I mean, it fits the bill so far, but no, still not Troll 2. Sure, it's not Pulp Fiction? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you guys nailed the first two clues without even knowing it, so well done there, but no. <laughs> Clue number three. This is an awesome one. I, I need to click on this later to see what other movies uh, fall into this, but musical sequence in a non-musical work. Clue number four. Hiding under a table. Die hard. <laughs> Aside from the musical sequence, not I was going to say I don't remember there being music in that movie, but or a musical, but still. Is <laughs> there a the Jurassic movie. Park the musical? <laughs> yeah, I well, there should be now. I mean, I know, right? I mean, that's a Broadway. Yep. Okay, nope. Back to the Future. <laughs> nope. Uh, I feel like this musical number clue is going to get me. Clue five: dysfunctional family. Gonna start to narrow in the scope here. Next clue: Chicago, Illinois. Chicago, Illinois. Okay. It's not like Saturday Night Fever, is it? <laughs> nope. Good. Good guess. So I'm gonna summarize the clues and then read out the next clue: cult film yeah. written by director, musical sequence in a non-musical work, hiding under a table, dysfunctional family, Chicago, Illinois. Boredom is your next clue. Boredom. It's okay. not coming. <laughs> next, next clue. Coming of age. Coming of age. This makes me feel of like the film that Elliot Page was in, where they were rollerblading. But I can't. It's. I don't think all the clues light up, <laughs> and I don't remember the title. I, uh, I. This. This is also shot in the dark. It's not rope, is it? It's not no. okay. that would be <laughs> <laughs> musical number. Yeah, not. Well, they're singing. They're singing yeah. in it. Yeah. Is there? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I need to go back and watch Rope. <laughs> playing the piano. I couldn't remember where it was set though. It's it's not Chicago, uh, is it? I think it's New York City for, okay. for Rope. Pretty sure. Because mm -hmm. uh, there's like references to Ivy League schools and stuff. It, but it, it, there's definitely boredom and coming of age. <laughs> there very much is. Yep. And hiding under a table, if you're the point of view of the corpse, I suppose. But. <laughs> <laughs> all right clue number nine here's a biggie brat pack brat pack uh-oh not ringing any bells i feel like it, sh I sh it should but it's going to be like that one film i haven't watched that will be on the list of films that people would be like you haven't seen this <laughs> uh, we'll, same we'll, here we'll, we'll talk about it after the, the like that particular clue all right well here's your final clue detention breakfast club 
Yes, it is. Okay. Oh, <laughs> oh, yeah. <Man>. Good <laughs> job, May. Oh, yeah. Good One job. One point Seriously. to May. It's awesome. Thanks. So, cult film written by director. Obviously, John Hughes wrote and directed it. Musical um, sequence and a non musical work. Uh, I think when they're all like, you know, kind of goofing off there at film, hiding under a table, dysfunctional family, Chicago, Illinois. He's famous for using Chicago as yeah. the backdrop mm-hmm. of all his films. Boredom, obviously. Coming of age, Brat Pack was uh, used to refer to the group of actors that regularly appeared in his film. So Molly Ringwald, uh, um, uh, what's his yeah. Anthony Michael Hall, like, yeah, like all those like repeat actors. So that was like kind of the affection in the 80s. So nice job. Eh? Yeah. All right. I haven't seen it. I pulled that out. Oh, really? Oh, man. Nice. Yeah, which is especially shameful Good. because when I was in high school, our senior shirts had a breakfast club like quote on the back and mm. a bunch of posers it. oh my <laughs> god jeez louise i did not uh, design it all right all right penultimate film here we go new film new set of clues title directed by female so title directed by female wonder woman uh good guess but it is not that <laughs> the farewell not that also a good guess all right here is your next clue Slow motion scene. Portrait of a lady on fire. Good guess, but no. Love that movie. That movie's good. Yeah, that was really good. Uh, next clue. Reading a trashy novel. Reading a trashy novel. <laughs> All right. Uh, next, next clue. Framing device. Framing device. I feel like I should know this. Next clue, drunken singing, drunken singing. <laughs> coyote ugly. <laughs> I guess so. not, not, not coyote ugly, not a bad guess though. All right, going to start narrowing the scope here. Clue number six, 1940s, Ooh. 1940s. Okay. Next clue. Female friendship. Female friendship. All right. Clue number eight. Cooperstown, New York. Cooperstown, New York. If you know what's significant about Cooperstown, New York, that's a big old clue. Mm. I know that at some point I knew what was significant about Cooperstown, New York. <laughs> I can't remember it. Okay, well, your next clue is baseball movie. A League of Their Own? It is A League nice. of Their Own. Nice. Wow. And he's on the board. <laughs> <laughs> so what is significant about Cooperstown is that's where the Baseball Hall of Fame is. So Okay. Um, yeah, my dad has definitely told me that multiple times. <laughs> that's all right. It's one of those things that can go in one ear and out the other if you don't care yeah. about baseball. Right now. But uh, final clue was sports league. So um, <laughs> that was the, the giveaway. So title directed by female, slow motion scene, reading a trashy novel, framing device, drunken singing, 1940s, female friendship, Cooperstown, New York, baseball movie, and sports league. Also awesome. a very good movie. One of my grandmother's very favorite movies. Like she oh. absolutely loved it um nice job will it's two points all right so a quick point checked uh will has two points and may has 10 so will you could 
technically win. I think, let me do my math. So obviously if you get on the first, you get 10 points. Uh, if you got on the second, you would get nine points plus your two is 11. You can tie up to the third um, clue. So we, we would have to do a tiebreaker. So still in it technically all to play for, <laughs> as they say on keyword countdown. Nice. All right. Final High pressure. Film. High pressure. I don't Final worry. film. Are you ready? Yes. Ready. All right. <laughs> clue number one, famous score. Famous score. Inception. I would not Star do Star Wars. <laughs> both your guesses, both wrong. Amadeus. Also a great guess, but it's not that. Take one more stab in the dark. Dune. Oh, nice. just big on uh, Mr. Zimmer today. I, I see. But no. I'm always big on Mr. Zimmer. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Clue number two, based on a novel. Based on a novel. The Prestige. <laughs> Blade Runner. Nope. Not a bad guess. None of these have been bad guesses, really. All right, well, here's your make or break clue. False accusation. May I think you're going to take this one, but uh, let's see. Great music, false accusation based on a book. I got nothing. Okay. Yep. I'll have to concede it, but I'm excited to find out what it is. Yeah, let's keep <laughs> playing. Still make it, wanna... still, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, we're going to, yeah. we're going to, yeah, we'll go all the way to the end. All right. Next clue Phoenix, Arizona. Phoenix, Arizona. Okay. Next clue, old woman. Old woman. Man, nothing's right. clicking today. It's all right. It's all right. We're going to, you know, uh, we're old country for no men. Old country for no men. <laughs> That's amazing. No, it is not that. <laughs> all right. Here we go. We're going to start dialing it in a little bit. Clue number six voyeurism. Voyeurism. Psycho? No. <laughs> it is. It is. Oh, damn. Oh, nice. oh damn. Done, yeah. buddy. Yes, it is indeed psycho. I didn't realize I that was I didn't yeah. realize that was set in Phoenix. That's yeah, likewise. Uh, the opening of it is uh in Phoenix. So that's where the story begins. Uh, and then uh she is driving from Phoenix to I think somewhere in California to visit uh or maybe it's elsewhere, but yeah, Phoenix is like the title card um at the very beginning. Gotcha. Where Marion Crane is very good, man. Nice. Remaining clues: stolen money, taxidermy, deeply disturbed person, shower. So, <laughs> done. Nice. Done. 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 So done. Seven points uh, for Will, and what do we say? That is ten points for May. Nice job. Very close. Ooh, yeah. well, well done, both of you. Yeah. Congratulations. Uh, well done, both of you. Well, let's go ahead and uh, draw our uh, next main quest card, and then we will skeet out all. So I'm giving these a little shuffle. And here we are. It is a, ooh, fade to black. All right. 
So let me consult my film list. Bear with me just a moment. All right. And the <laughs> film is, drumroll please, uh, Deer Hunter. So the final Ooh. scene of Deer Hunter is what we'll be talking about. Uh, one shot is what I have in uh, quotation marks. Uh, have either of you seen The Deer Hunter before? I've actually never heard of it. Yeah. Oh, uh, it is phenomenal. So it is a Michael Camino directed film starring uh, Christopher Walken, Robert De Niro, and uh, John Cazale, I think I'm saying his name right, played Fredo in The Godfather. Um, yeah. Won a ton of awards, uh, centers around a group of friends, uh, I think who live in Pittsburgh, that go off to Vietnam and how it impacts and changes them. Not a very happy film, as many of the films in that time period uh, were. Well, let's go ahead and skedaddle. Enjoy the rest of our respective uh, weekends. Thank you both, as always, for joining me. You can find us on social media at uh, ScreenQuestPod on Twitter. Feel free to interact with the show, tweet us, participate in our, our lovely Friday film polls, and uh, like, share, and subscribe, as always. Really appreciate that. Um, shout out to Mr. David Williams for giving us a, a little um, love on Facebook. Uh, that was much appreciated, my guy. Thank you so much for sharing the podcast. That's how we grow. Uh, but until next time, we, we love you. Bye. Bye, Bye. guys. <laughs>